free from sin for all eternity. And we're, we're going to be looking at the theme of that this morning. Um, but, but also, I've just been struck this week by the faithfulness of God. And um, uh, we, those of you who may know, and some of you might not know, uh, my family and I moved here in January. We started, I'm employed here by the church, started in January. Um, it was the call of God to come here, really. and Well, not really, it was. Um, so we have children, so there's stuff involved in that. We had to move our son from a school that he really loved into another school. It was the only school in the whole of Seven Oaks that had a place in his year. So we put him in, and our daughter is starting school um, in September, and we were struggling to get them into the same school. There was a particular school as well we wanted to get them into. We started praying about this a couple of months ago. This school is always oversubscribed. It always has a big waiting list. And um, I remember I started praying with... um, Adam and Malcolm and some other friends as well. I remember we were saying a couple of months ago, this will be a miracle if they both start in this school in September. We had plans where one would be at one school for one year and one in another, and then we'd eventually get them into the same school due to the sibling rule. Um, and uh, this week, we just heard that they're, they're both going to get into this school and both are starting in September. Just the amazing faithfulness of God... Um, and Adam and I were talking about this this morning. When we were coming, God told us that he would bless us and we would be fruitful. And he is just blessing us beyond anything we've experienced for a long time. And it's just blown us away, the faithfulness of God. His promises are true over me and these promises are true over you. His promises over you that he will never leave you or forsake you. His promises over you are that he died for you and that you can spend eternity with him. Really, really amazing worship this morning, guys. Well done. And about five minutes ago, I was thinking, I don't think I can speak. God was just simply overwhelming me. Um, anyway, I will speak, so I'm sorry to tell you. <coughs> um, last you may know we've been going through the book of Corinthians and last week Adam talked about, kind of hung it, his talk was called How Did We Get Here? Really looking at the fall of man. And um, kind of hung it, there's really hung it on a verse in Corinthians for it says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you know if you're in Christ you've been made alive this morning? So Adam Last week he went through and went back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. And at the beginning he said about all was well and good. Everything was created in love by God to know and love God. He said how God's love was shown for us in creation. This is a quote from Adam Northcroft. He said, God wants a brilliant environment for us to flourish in. And that's true for you today. He wants a brilliant environment for you to flourish in. But, sadly, Adam, the first Adam, not our Adam, (laughs) chose to disobey God. To go his own way. And as a result, God said to man, you will surely die. He then looked at our Adam, not the first Adam, said we will then die in three ways. He talked about a physical death, an emotional death, and a spiritual death. 
And he went on to say how the relationship was broken between God and Adam and we had a new master over us. And he quoted Romans 5, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And from Adam onwards, the first Adam, not our Adam, the natural instinct of humanity is towards sin. We don't naturally live sin-free lives, God-pleasing lives. No, instead, humanity, humanity naturally sins. So by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. See, I really listened to his talk last week. I was actually on the kids' work, so I listened to it online and could take notes as I went along. But anyway, it was good. <clears throat> sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because of sin. We inherit a sinful nature. We all individually choose to sin. And the Bible makes it clear that we humans, Adam said last week, are the walking dead. It's one certainty in life, isn't it? One in one die. But, but God. You know, there's some huge but gods in the Bible. But God gloriously didn't leave us there. And in Romans 5.18, it um, says, Just as one act of trespass led to condemnation, one act of righteousness leads to life for all men. And Adam, at the end, our Adam, not the first Adam, <coughs> gave us all an opportunity to respond, to receive that gift of eternal life. You know, if you haven't received that gift of eternal life. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can just receive it for free. He encouraged us to stop sinning and remember the good news. And he prayed for a fresh desire to give away such good news. So last week was the bad news. But this week is the good news. So this week I am calling the talk. Ruben, if you could uh, put the slide up. Keep calm, because the best is yet to come. We're in death now, but the best is yet to come. So all of that gave us a background of what we're going to look at over the next um, two weeks, this week and next. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, from 21 to 58. And what we're going to do this morning is uh, Matthew Harker is going to come and read the verses to us, um, and it's a lot of verses but I think it's a good thing to have Scripture read over us. It's a, it's a biblical thing to have Scripture read over us. So that's why, actually, at the beginning of this week's talk and next week, we're going to read all of this Scripture. This is a good thing for us to have read over us. So, Matt, if you want to come up and read. Could I just have the uh, mic? mic? Right, if you've got a Bible, it's a New Living Translation, this one. So... Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 58. It's going to be quite long, so bear with me. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, 
having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself, who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God, who gave the Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. If the dead will not be raised, what is the point in people being baptised for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday raise again? rise again. And why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there will be no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, one for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different to the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars have another kind. And even the stars differ from one another in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in the brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as they are natural bodies, they are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly men, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now, the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and those who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. 
But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Amen. Well done, Matt. <clears throat> so, it's um, quite a big, important theme that we're looking at over these next two weeks. And um, if we could just skip back to the beginning, Reuben, um, the verses. Um, the story of the fall that Adam talked about last week <clears throat> was in Paul's mind throughout this chapter. How through one man, sin came into God's perfect creation. And through another man, fully man but fully God, came the redemption of all mankind. Jews were longing for this. They were longing for the coming of God's kingdom. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, would have grown up longing for it. How it would happen, it wasn't clear, but he knew it would happen. Um, they may have been thinking it would happen at the end of time, not in the middle of it. And as a result of price that Jesus paid, our union with Christ, as it says in Romans 6, our union with Christ means that death has no hold on us anymore. <clears throat> Jesus is often described in the Bible as the first fruits, meaning it's an instalment of what's to come, the new heaven and the new earth. And in verse 23, we see the order of events. Jesus following his resurrection, is already, he's already Lord of the world. The purpose of his reign, to defeat all enemies that have ruined God's world, God's world and his people, has not yet fully been accomplished, but one day it will. One day, death will be defeated forever and ever. And the world will be put back in order. It's the centre point of history. The centre point of history. Um, we're told in <clears throat> Psalm 8, where the psalmist sings of, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. One day he'll silence all his enemies that oppose him. In Psalm 110, he says... The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honour at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. That he's going to conquer it forever. The battle's been won and he's going to come again and everything's going to change. And when we talk about death, we mustn't soften the blow. Like, death doesn't matter that much. I've been to um, lots of funerals where the chap at the front will quote the verse of, there are many rooms in my father's house, as if Jesus is in the spare room plumping up the pillows and putting on the clean sheets for you. But actually, unless you know Jesus, unless you accept Jesus, there's no room in his house for you. You need to accept Jesus. It's about a choice. You have to make that choice. 
um, Tom Wright, theologian who writes books on the Bible, said, says, to say that death is anything other than an enemy is to deny the goodness, beauty, and power of God's good creation. And that the point of resurrection is, that is the defeat of death. Resurrection isn't the immediate future for those who die. It's what happens at that subsequent moment, at the moment when Jesus comes back and appears appears as king to the entire world. Now, I'm not talking as well about purgatory. We don't, we don't die and go in, into a, a place in between here and the resurrection. When we die, we go and be with Jesus. Our soul, our spirit, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, goes to be with Jesus. But at that final moment when he comes again, death itself will be conquered. And since death is the unmaking of God's good creation, resurrection will be the remaking. And that and nothing less is the Christian hope. That's what we hope for. We're called Hope Church. That's what we hope for, church. That we will one day have resurrected bodies. And we mustn't give people false hope by saying anything other than what happens to us when we die. It would be unbiblical and illogical to infer that those who do not experience being made alive in Christ will cease to exist when they die outside of Christ. It's not it. If you're outside of Christ, you don't die and then that's it. But you will remain consciously separated from God. And we read about that in um, Luke and the the gospel of the rich man. And he's separated forever. And there's some interesting things in this, what Matt read this morning as well. Verse 29, he says, If the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptised for those who are dead? Why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? So it would appear that they were baptising people on behalf of those who had already died. Interesting. We don't do that anymore. And I don't think Paul here is supporting that. It's a practice that died out, and it's definitely something we shouldn't do. I think that it's suggested that people may have been doing it for either those who were in Christ and died but weren't baptised, or those who died outside of Christ. We're not clear. We're not clear on that. But this isn't something we should do. And a little lesson here, actually, in how you read and interpret the Bible. Not everything you read in here we should do. Some things are as an example of how we should live our lives, and other things are an example of how we shouldn't live our lives. Um, so you need to be understanding in what you're reading when you read this book. In the next few verses, um, Paul seems to be saying that if this isn't true, then everything they're doing is in vain. <clears throat> so he says from verse 30, why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? Um, he talks about what value was it was there in fighting wild beasts in Ephesus? Those, it says in other translations, it just says fighting wild beasts. Um, I just found it helpful reading from the New Living Translation today because it just helps it, it, it makes it a little bit clearer. <clears throat> Why, what would be the point if there was no resurrection from the dead? If there was no hope? 
He says in verse 32, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. But this is not true. Paul says, don't be fooled by these things. And he says, bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right. Now, it is good. And I would encourage you to spend time with people that don't know Jesus. That's what I feel God is calling me to, is to share the good news, the gospel, to people that don't know Jesus. But we must not be influenced by bad. We must be influencers for good and light, bringing light into dark places and not being overcome by the darkness. So, if you feel you are not strong enough and you are influenced badly by people who don't know Jesus, then it might be good to just step away for a bit. That's what happened to me when I was, became a Christian. Um, I used to go out drinking and doing drugs and getting in fights and stuff, and then I realized that actually this wasn't doing me good. To try, I was trying to blend two lives, and I realized for a little while I just needed to step back from that because I was being influenced by darkness. And now I feel I'm in a stronger position in my faith to be an influencer for light. So moving on from, into verse 35... The next section goes on to telling us about the resurrected body. And I, I think we all realize, as I said earlier, the one true statistic in life, one in one die. I think from about the age of 30, you realize that your body is decaying. <laughs> I hate to break this to you people, but apart from you young people on the front row, although Matt Collins is decaying a bit at the moment. However, praise God, his knee, knee, his knee was amazingly healed, wasn't it, Matt, um, a couple of weeks ago? Pain gone like that, the faithfulness of God. But I, I think the, the actual statistic is, I think it's from the age of 26 or 27, your body is in decay. Just to cheer you up. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Have a good <coughs> No. We realise, don't we, that our bodies are decaying. My, my nan, good old nanny Dot. She used to say, there's no fun in getting old. There's no fun in getting old. She was from Yorkshire. Um, and I wonder what it would look like if we could select our own bodies, our own resurrected bodies. Um, I'm not going to go too much into that, but I, when I was younger and at school, I was a little thinner and gawkier than I am now. And my ears used to stick out and quite a lot, more than they do now, believe it or not. Um, and the older kids and some other unpleasant kids used to call me the FA Cup. <laughs> See, I looked like a trophy. It was difficult going out in high winds sometimes. Um, fortunately, my head has grown into my ears a little bit now. But, um, so maybe that would be something I would change. But whatever... Paul explains that we'll be recognisable in our resurrected body, but it will be better than we can imagine it, it to be. And it will be made to live forever. This body here, with these ears, are not made to live forever, but my resurrected body will be made to live forever. We'll, we'll still have 
personality and individuality, but it will be perfected through Christ's work. And the Bible doesn't reveal everything that the resurrected body will be able to do, but we know it will be perfect and without pain or suffering. No more painful knees, Matt, or any other tennis injuries you may have picked up over the years. None of that. You'll be able to play tennis without pain. It's painful when I play tennis, I tell you. Um, And Paul introduces the idea in verse 36 uh, of the seed, which is sown looking like one thing and coming up looking like another. What he's not saying is that when we bury the body in the ground, another one grows up from it. I don't think that's what he's saying here, but he's simply saying we need to understand the principle of a transformation of a new body. And we must grasp that the resurrection of the body is the work of God the Creator. And it will involve transformation, not merely a resuscitation. What Paul is talking about, and when he goes into talking about the glory of the heavenly bodies from the earthly bodies, merely comparing and contrasting the sting of shame and humiliation that we face here of the earthly body to the glory of the heavenly body. that we will have. So, it's clear that our resurrected bodies, when the new heaven and the new earth comes, we're not going to be like ghosts floating around on clouds, but there will be resurrected bodies. And um, a clear indication as well, and that helps us to understand that, is when we look at the resurrected body of Jesus, he was able to sit and talk with the disciples. He was able to eat This is a good indication to look at what our resurrected bodies will be like. But he's still recognisable. If you could just turn to the book of Revelation. This tells us about what the, the end of time. We looked at the beginning. And we're just going to look at the end of time. In Revelation 21, verses 1 to 7... The Apostle John sees heaven coming down. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. 
you can drink from the spring of the water of life this morning. As Rachel shared this morning about the woman at the well, she could drink from that well, but she would be thirsty again. You can drink from all sorts of other things in this life, but unless you drink from the well that he has given you, the well of eternal life, you will be thirsty again. But drink from that, you'll never be thirsty again. He's redeeming the earth. He's going to redeem your body. You can have that today. He's redeeming the earth. He's redeeming you. Will you accept it? There's nothing else worth living for other than this. Everything else is a complete waste of time unless you are truly, utterly devoted to the King of Kings. He wants you. He wants you. He's pursuing you. He says, I stand at the door, I'm knocking. Will you let me in? Will you let him in this morning? This is what we hope for. We humans are hope-shaped creatures. The way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe for then. What you believe for your future controls what you do now. I said before, as a young boy, I had high hopes for Everton FC to conquer the footballing world. Now I have no hope for them. Because I know the future. Next season, they're not going to win the league. That's not prophetic. That's just fact. But I don't care anymore because my eyes are fixed on my eternal destination. I was listening to Tim Keller this week, and he gave this illustration of two men that are in a war. They're thrown into a prison camp. The first man was told as he was going in that his family had died. The second man was told that his family are alive and they're waiting for you when you get out. And after a few years, the first man withers away and dies. But the other guy, he endures, he stays strong, and he gets out. They both had the same situation, but their experience was completely different because of what they hoped for. Their now was controlled by the then, what is coming. Another illustration is two guys sent to work in a very small room doing a very tedious job. Very, very tedious. Very dull. They have to stay in that room for a whole year working away. One is told he's being paid £20,000 a year. And the other is told he's being paid £20 million at the end of the year. What happens? Well, the first guy... After a few months, he just said, I can't do this anymore, it's just not worth it. He quits and goes. The other guy, he's whistling away while he works. He's thinking about what is to come. Their experience is completely different because of their beliefs about the future. Their circumstance is the same. So whether we believe that when we die, we're just going to rot away or that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, it will affect how you live now. 
You might be going through circumstances now which are difficult. We as a family over the last year have gone through difficult circumstances. I know that there are people in this room that have gone through difficult, painful experiences. And we're not saying that doesn't matter. But if you have a hope, if you know of the eternal destiny, if you have your eyes, do you have your eyes fixed on your circumstances or do you have your eyes fixed on the king? Let because if you're fixed, your eyes are fixed on him, it will enable you to endure. I'm not just talking about stiff upper lip here, but I'm talking about something that comes within from him that enables you to endure. Let the truth of what we've sung about, let the truth of what we're talking about this morning pierce you to your very soul. For everything you endure here, is a passing phase because there is light and high beauty is your destiny. Every human needs to grasp this living hope. You need to grasp that Jesus' life, death and resurrection gives you hope. Receive him this morning, will you? In verse 6 on the Revelation, it says, to the thirsty I'll give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. And the woman at the well, as we've already said, Jesus tells her, drink. He says, you'll never be thirsty again. What does it mean to drink from the water of life? It's about all your longings, your deepest longings of your soul. Longing for love, longing for value, longing for acceptance. You can get a foretaste of it now, and you can have it for free. You can have it for free by believing what Jesus did, how he died and rose again. You can accept him today. Jesus said, I am making all things new. He's the beginning the first fruits. So this resurrection that, we've, that Paul is talking about means that what happens to you now can only make you better. Any suffering you, you go through now will make you a better person or it can kill you, then you really will be a better person because you'll be with him. A few months ago, uh, we were going out for a walk and we were walking down the road. Uh, Tom and Sophie were with us and Elijah, so as you go down our, our cloak, we live in like a close and there's a hill, slight hill that goes down to lead out to where we were going. Elijah is very able, that's my son, he's very able on his scooter and he was scooting down the bottom of the road and there's a house that lives on the bend of the corner and then as he was scooting down, a van just that lives at this house just came gunning towards him. And for a moment, I think mine and Jem's heart stopped and the van literally missed him. But it, it broke and just missed him and Elijah just carried on scooting. It was so close, wasn't it? It was really close. 
but the van, it didn't hit him. Only the shadow of the van hit Elijah. And when we die, we don't really get hit by death. Just the shadow of death hits us. Death really hit Jesus. So it doesn't have to hit us. So only the shadow of death hits us. And it's our entrance into glory. So we can say, we can stand here this morning and say, come on graves, come on crosses, the lower you lay me, the higher he'll raise me. Because the worst things are the best things and the greatest is yet to come. So, as a result of this, let's live completely transformed lives by our hope that we have for the future. I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for you at the end. If you're going through tough circumstances in life, I'm going to pray that you can fix your eyes on him. I wonder, could we... I didn't ask the band. Do you think we could just sing Worthy is the Lamb again? Just to fix our eyes again on him, if that's okay. And I just want to end with this verse in Philippians. Just say thank you to Reuben for paying attention to what I'm saying because he's, he's on the ball. I just want to... Could we stand? And I just want to read this over us as a church. This is Philippians 1 from verse 20. So, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Lord Jesus, we realise this morning that to be with you is better. And Lord, I want to pray as a church for us to, to live is for Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, help us, whatever circumstance we may be facing at the moment, help us fix our eyes on you, Jesus. I pray over the church now to live for Christ and to die is gain. Lord Jesus, will you come and meet with us? I just encourage you to put your hands out to him. It's a sign between you and him that you want to meet with him this morning. Holy Spirit, will you come? Lord, we, we love you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Uh, I pray, Lord, help us fix our eyes on you in, in each and every circumstance. Thank you, Jesus. Will you come and comfort us, you great comforter? Come and meet with us, the lover of our souls.
as we sing this song to set your eyes on him this morning. And as we sung the song, if you want to respond to what you've heard, if you want, you're going through difficult circumstances at the moment, come and be prayed for. We want to pray for you. He wants to meet with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Just believe that. Just as the band just keep playing for a little while, I believe, feel God wants to impart a fresh sense of hope in you this morning. And if you feel like you're lacking in hope this morning, can I just encourage you to come forward and be prayed for, just as the band are playing. He wants to impart faith. He wants to impart hope into you this morning. He wants to say to you, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. He wants to embrace you this morning and say, I have hope. Look at me, look at the hope that there is in me. The band are just going to keep playing and I just encourage you to come forward and be prayed for. He wants to give you fresh hope this morning and um, if that's not you, the children are coming back in, you want to go and get tea and coffee, that's fine. But the band, if that's okay, we're just going to play for a little bit longer and we just want to pray for people. He wants to meet with you this morning. He wants to give hope this morning.